So glad to be with you today. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. Everybody's awake here in person. If you're online, you're sipping on that third cup of coffee. We are glad that you're here as well. And um, I just wanted to uh, tell everybody, I am just so grateful. I continue to feel welcomed. I mean, this is like my like second, third week of feeling welcomed here. And those who uh, gave gift cards and um, all sorts of other ways in ministry, some that I've had a chance to get me for coffee or dinner and that kind of thing. I just want to thank you guys for all of that because, um, you know, starting as a new pastor in a new location, trying to meet people, make friends, and develop relationships and, and get a handle on what's going on in the church, it's a hard, hard place to be. But um, I just really want to acknowledge that and just thank you once again for that. And speaking of which, We are in our second week of this series that we're talking about this next little while uh, called New Season, New Season, and we're into episode two of a new season today. If you didn't, weren't here last week, you can check it out online. I think it's still posted there on our Facebook page, and you can kind of catch up, but even so, we're going to bring you along today. And the premise of this idea of a new season is simple, is that we're in a new season of ministry here at Table Life, uh, but also I recognize we're also in many new seasons in life. Folks I've talked to this week, some that are in our congregation, who have shared different stories, uh, just so many new seasons from, from jobs to family situations to, to kids and school to, to empty nests to, to relationships and marriage, like just all these different new seasons that come together. So, um, so I think, and, and also just with the COVID situation too, that we're still navigating kind of those waters and everything. And last week, we, we started with the series with a message talking about how, how we don't want to waste the beginning. We don't want to waste the beginning. And so in this series, we're walking through the the book of Joshua, the first beginning part where Joshua uh, takes the leadership of the Israelites and walks them to the promised land. And and we talked about how it's important not to to waste the beginning. So often we get caught up in what's going to happen next and what's ahead, that that the beginning is, is a place where God is at work. And we don't want to miss what he's doing right there. But we're going to go on episode two of our new season today. And also just a note that in your bulletin here, if you're with us, there's some little notes you can follow along. So this is also your cue to tick time, tick tock down to lunchtime. So you can say, how much longer does she have seasons? From the past, we call them classics. And those that maybe are going on in Netflix, Hulu, all kinds of stuff today. So I want you to take a minute and turn to somebody around you if you're in the room and just share what is just name a favorite show that you have watched for multiple seasons. Online, go ahead, put that in the chat box or tell somebody in the room. Okay, we're going to rally back together here. So maybe you learned something that you should be watching, or maybe it was an affirmation to say, wow, we all share some of the favorite shows. Um, And so just a little bit, I like to share in each message just a little bit more about myself. Um, And I had such a hard time with this question because so many shows from the past, present, you know, looking ahead, that everything kind of came up. So I'm going to share with you three of my top favorites. Um, Had a hard time with this. So first one going to put that up there. You guys know who these folks are? Family Matters. 
You see Steve Urkel? Anybody was a fan? It was like the thing to do, what was that, TGIF? Like, that was so, those who are like born like 1990 and later, like you have no recollection of this <laughs> whatsoever. So this was one of my favorite shows. Like we as a family, we would like sit and watch these shows on Friday nights together, Family Matters, Steve Urkel. And then he, like a ne one of the later seasons, he had like a twin brother or something. I, 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 that like occurred to me and I'm like, ah, I don't know. Okay, next one. Let's go to the next one. Who was this? MacGyver, yes. Oh my gosh. So this is a little little story here. I was eight. I fell in love with this dude. <laughs> I was so I was either going to marry MacGyver or I was going to be MacGyver. One of the two. Yeah, be, be the female version of of MacGyver. So great show. Uh, lots of lots of great seasons there. And then a kind of current one. That's one of my faves. Stranger Things, yes, so season four, 2022 now is what they're saying. They're still filming right now, so Stranger Things, I know a lot of, we've had a lot of fans here. I, I, I'm like thinking of the patterns here, they're, like it's all back to the 80s-ish. 80s was a wonderful time apparently, but, but I don't know what other shows that came up. We were talking about like other like cartoons like DuckTales, The Jetsons, all those shows. Um, even earlier, um, but, but I think regardless of kind of what your favorite show or what a series of them are, um, they keep us coming back for a number of reasons, and one of those is because we resonate with them, right? We find some kind of connection, you know, yeah, my life back in the 90s or the 80s, or hey, the char certain characters, um, but also we come back because of the twists and the turns of the plot, right? At the end of like an episode, there's always like that trailer, especially a season. There's always that trailer that you're like, especially if it's on Hulu, Netflix, whatever. You're like, okay, we have to start in the next season, right? You just can't be left hanging. There's always something coming up. We have to know what happens. But we also all know that it's not always what we thought. It's not always what we thought. That a new season guarantees that there's going to be new characters along the way. There's going to be new places that we visit, new situations and plot lines and, and problems. But there's also going to be the revealing of things from previous seasons and episodes. Stuff that you begin to see in a new light. Things that were going on before, but then are brought to your attention. But the thing is, you have to be open to see them. You have to be open to seeing them. And, and I think it's the same thing. <clears throat> it's the same thing that when we enter a new season in life or a new season in church, that our tendency is, as human beings, to enter a new season with kind of preconceived ideas about what is going to happen. We think we know. We, we believe we know. And it's for a good reason, because a lot of times it's based on a previous season. It's based on our experiences, what has happened before. And even as people of faith, we may have certain expectations about what God has done and what God will do. We believe that we know. But a new season, a new season always presents the gift, the gift of fresh, what I call fresh eyes. Fresh eyes to notice things that were taking place previously but also to, to notice and discover more about what God is doing and how we can join in what God is already up to. And it's a place that begs us to be open. So we're going to look into chapter 2 of Joshua today, the book of Joshua, and um, I think it really describes just that. 
as I was doing my research and study on this chapter. Um, because if we back up, jo Joshua chapter 1 was about this, this idea of uh, Joshua who assumed the leadership of the Israelites after Moses had passed away. That Moses never actually led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. That he only got to see it from a far distance, but yet it was Joshua who would then assume that leadership and take the people to the land. And so in chapter 1, we saw that, that Joshua was given a commission by God. He said, you know, tag, not just tag, you're it, but that you are called to do this. And Joshua then calls, he doesn't do it alone, he's not a silo here or a lone wolf, lone ranger, but he rather goes to the people and he makes sure that everybody is on board and they say, yes, we are. And the story of Joshua is actually a typology, is what they call it, a typology for Jesus. It's a pattern of Jesus that we see later represented in the New Testament. This idea of taking people out of sin, out of misery, that sense of wandering, and bringing them to a sense of the promised land. And, and so Jesus is also often called a second Joshua in that way. You know, not the literal Joshua is bringing phys people physically to a promised land, but the sense of God's fulfillment of what he promised to do by sending a Messiah. But now we enter into Joshua 2, which is a really interesting place. And I, I didn't know this before, but as you read Joshua 1 through chapter 3, you notice that there's kind of a breakup in time. There's a breakup in time. And it appears that Joshua chapter 2, uh, chapters, by the way, came later in our own divisions of Scripture. But Joshua 2 appears, the story appears that it was inserted between two stories that once went together. And the reason we can believe that is because if you fast forward all the way to episode three, it's a little, little uh, clincher here. So in episode number three, in chapter three, you see that it mentions three days later, three days later after the events that had happened in chapter one. Well, in chapter two, we recognize that there's a long period of time here. That it's more than three days. So, so what's going on? Well, uh, scholars believe that this story was inserted in between these stories, number one, because in Scripture, uh, chronology was not as important as what the author was trying to communicate. That sometimes when we read the Bible, you're like, well, why did this skip around here? And it, 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 did all this come from chapter 1 through you know, chapter 20, everything in line there? A lot of times writers would include certain sections of scripture not by when they occurred, but by places and certain people and points. It was kind of the writing style, and so the people of the time reading this would have understood that. We tend to write things, especially news stories, history, as more chronologically. But, but we find that chapter 2 is placed significantly in this section. It's placed there for a reason, that there's theological significance because there's something very, very important that needs to be communicated. It shows something about God and also something about this, what the people had been believing about God previously. So let's jump in here. Let's jump into verse 1. We're going to just pause here in verse 1 for a couple of minutes. So Joshua tells us, that, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. I'm not, we're going to keep going there. That's a word you can say very fast. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So first thing we notice, the idea of sending in spies sending in spies. There's a lot going on right here. 
And, and one thing that I was reflecting on this week, and as I was doing my research and study, was remember previously in chapter one that, that he, he was told, Joshua was told to be strong and courageous, and that kind of like life verse that's sometimes part of our scripture, be strong and courageous, you know, I got this, God tells him, like you're going to be sent to the promised land. But then Joshua sends spies, like, does that show we really trust God? Does Joshua have trust issues, like you and me? Is he, is he really acting in faith? And I think a lot of times we assume that of people, right? We say, well, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't, like, you know, you would just believe and receive. Maybe you've heard that before. Or you just have to, you know, you got that diagnosis, like, just have enough faith. Maybe you got it because you didn't have enough faith. I know people that have been totally turned off of Christianity because somebody has said that to them. This idea of acting in faith and just acting out and just doing it, you know, not necessarily out. That we can depend on God, but we also have to do our homework, too. It's important. We're in a, this kind of partnership with God, that we're at work with God, that especially, you know, when we've been someplace before that resonates with us, when we encounter a place. So, so Joshua, he had experienced this previously with Moses. Moses sent spies into the land. He had been there, seen that, done that. We have to scout things out before we make assumptions, before we just jump into places. Sometimes we applaud religious uh, impulsivity, but I just have to say sometimes that's just plain stupid. God gave us a brain for a reason. And it's kind of this bandwagon culture that I'm sure we all know that things are here today, gone tomorrow. This week we were sitting in staff meeting and um, uh, Becca, our office administrator, had a, what was it, a mug or something that had like Tiger King something, something relating to that on it. And I was like, like I looked at it, I'm like, I couldn't like think of where it came, what show it actually came from. And then I'm like, that was like a year ago, right? How old was that? It feels like forever, ages ago. Things just happen so, so fast. We jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. But sometimes God is something right in front of us, sitting right in front of us for us to see. And if we don't take time to scout it out in our zeal, we will totally miss it. Because we're so busy going from this thing to that thing to that thing to that thing. But also, by scouting it out, it helps us, it helps us work through assumptions. Because, of course, Joshua had been there, done that before. And sometimes, sometimes entering into a new season feels like a rerun of the past season. I don't know if you've been there. Or a rerun of a season previously. Um, sometimes when, uh, in, in, through my past ministry experiences, um, I recognize that you know, I enter into a, a new season, and then I start to meet people. And I meet people, and I meet people that remind me of people. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's like, where did I meet this person before? And it's someone that echoes a personality or a, a certain act in, action type or something. And then I begin to make assumptions about the new person in front of me that has no idea what's going on because I'm tying them mentally back to that person that I had the bad experience with or that said something or this person. And it's to no fault of their own. It helps me work when I pause there to work through those assumptions because it's very easy to get trapped in that. And so when Moses, when Moses had sent in spies, they went in and they looked at the land and they came back in unbelief. But this time, this time it's different because from Joshua's perspective, 
It, it's time to move forward with what they had learned. And so it doesn't mean that we disregard what's happened to us or that bad experience or something that we, we actually learn from it. But we don't put that on the, the new season in front of us. And so back to the, but let's go back to that significance in the story, right? That I kind of left you hanging with. Why is chapter two here in the first place? Well, it's less about spies or intelligence work because the key is in that second part of that first verse. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The point is the story of Rahab. It's about Rahab. And notice what she's called here, the house of a prostitute. Other versions call her the harlot, that kind of thing. Scholars believe that the point here was to explain why Rahab's people began to live among the Israelites. So fast forward, fast forward, way, way forward. If you look later in the New Testament, you see that Rahab is actually included as one of the people in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Because she's a prostitute, and she's a Canaanite, she's an outsider, and she's female. Like, these three things, they just, they just don't go together. See, Joshua 2, push, we have to pay attention. And so what happens here? These, these spies, they, they go in to, to stay with, with uh, this prostitute named Rahab. And, and then the king, the king of Jericho, finds out that these spies are there. We don't know how we found out. Somebody probably tweeted it, right, or shared it on Facebook a hundred times, you know. But um, let's go on to verses 4 through 7. So, but the woman, so this is Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. She is sly, right? But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. This brings something else to our attention is that in a new season, we need to be open to new heroes. Be open to new heroes. Because in a new season, they may come from very unlikely places. See, God begins to expand the horizons of Joshua and the Israelites. Because they had come to understand and believe that the only actors in the story of God were going to be the people that were following God already. And yet, God's intent was not ever to make a holy tribe. He was not going to take the holy tribe of God and then decimate everybody else. But people started to think about that. The point of this was not to make anybody great, but rather was to culminate in the person of Jesus as the Messiah. Right? John 3.16, for God so loved America? No, God so loved the world. It wasn't God so loved the Israelites and those who were devout believers and people that were going to church every Sunday and doing this. No, God so loved the world. The story highlights the question of how will Israel treat the people living in the land? And part of this is a question of, this is a little, the geeky part of me, part of this is the question of the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomic law, where, which had basically said that the Canaanites are wicked and that you should get rid of all of them, that these are evil, evil people, and that you should decimate them. 
this law of destruction, and these spies are basically put face to face with this idea of because of this woman named Rahab. See, the assumption of that idea of wickedness is demolished here in Joshua 2 because God winds up saving. Look what she did for them. She, she saved them. He winds up saving the Israelite spies through a female outsider who's not the right ethnicity or even lifestyle. What? What the heck is that, right? Exactly. That's the point here, folks. It's a very God thing to do. Doesn't Jesus shake things up? He shakes things up, especially for the religious people. And sometimes we're in that religious people seat. We need to be shaken up a little bit to question things, to look at our assumptions. Because I don't know about you, but when I read the stories about Jesus, people not like Jesus like Jesus. It's not always who we want to be the hero. I remember my, my home church where I came to faith and started in ministry, a church called Real Life Chapel. Um, it's a Nazarene church in the Eastern Shore, Maryland. Um, I remember one like Advent season, um, season of Advent leading up into Christmas, and we had our Advent wreath at the front of the, uh, the church, the sanctuary. And I remember things were very busy that one Sunday, and um, we forgot to light the wreath. And so it wasn't like until like after the music was over, getting ready for the message, that my lead pastor, Pastor Frank, got up to the front and he realized it had not been lit. And he like motioned for somebody, like go to the kitchen, find a like thing. This person like ran, they're, they're like shaking their head. So he's like, well, I want to get on the sermon, but the wreath isn't lit. And, we wanted to, and part of his message was to talk about that. So, so what did he do? Well, he asked the congregation, he said, does anybody have a lighter? One proud, proud gentleman who was a part of the Celebrate Recovery ministry at the church got up from the back and walked forward. And I have to say, he received a standing ovation. An unlikely hero. An unlikely hero that, that many churches and religious people have been like, he has a lighter, he smokes, he's one of them. You know, oh my gosh, he's sinful. Like, you know, and he wound up being the hero in that situation. Heroes from our last season may not be the heroes in this season. They may be just supporting characters. And I believe sometimes that the people that we're writing off, we write off in our lives. Or we go into our new season and we make those judgments immediately. Um, we, we, they might be the people that we actually need and that God needs to use for us. And Table Life Church, I have to say this. Some conversations I've already had in the community and just hanging out with people and folks that are not part of our congregation, I believe that there are heroes in the life of Table Life Church that are not even here yet. That God is at work in right now. We don't know who they are. I don't know them. I don't even know them yet. You might know them. They might have been here for living here for 20, 30 years, the whole whole lives, but they may be the next heroes in our congregation. Because God is pairing people in our path. And they might be in our neighborhood for years. They may be in your life for years, but that's where we need to be open to some new heroes. But the next thing kind of piggybacks off this, and we see in the story, is that we also need to be open because God is at work before we are. God's at work before we are. And I, I love this, and I love the song we just sang, the reckless love of God. 
Uh, we see what takes place on Rahab's roof. So she's hidden the spy. She told the king, oh, they ran off, and they go off. The city gates are shut. And starting in verse 8 tells us, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Wow, that's powerful language. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So, whoa, 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 right? She's, she's actually like confessing about this God that they've been following. Long before the Israelite spies got there, God was at work. See, folks, we don't bring God to anybody. We don't bring God to anybody. He's already there. He's already working. And there's a term for this. Maybe you've heard this before. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, which was the stream from which the Church of the Nazarene came out of, John Wesley believed in this idea of prevenient grace, called the grace that comes before. Wesley believed that God's grace prevents the total destruction of God's image in us, that there was always a glimpse and even a glimmer of God's image in people, even if they're the most sinful and broken and, far, and seemingly far away. I'm going to put this quote up on the screen. This is pretty powerful, guys. All that is wrought in this, this is what he said, all that is wrought in the soul by what is frequently termed natural conscience, all the drawings, drawings like magnetism, of the Father, and the desires after God, that light wherewith the Son of God enlighteneth, I love that, enlighteneth everyone that cometh into the world, showing every man to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with his God. All the convictions which his spirit from time to time works in every child of man. And that's true with us, because you know that you can look back in your rearview mirror in your mind, and you can see that God was at work before you acknowledged it was God, before you knew that he was drawing himself, drawing yourself to him. Um, but a lot of times we, we get stuck in, in some thoughts that, that, you know, somehow that we're a vehicle that, that God is going to use to, to bring Jesus to somebody else, that somebody is far off and they're totally distant and they're disconnected. Um, we maybe seen this diagram before. I have some little sketches here. Called like the like the cavern diagram. Uh, sometimes anybody seen this before, where we have sinful people or sinful like man in some some versions, and then we have the holy God, and that's that, and there's this chasm in between because we are totally separated. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it happened back at the fall. Adam and Eve decision to turn away. And God said, let it be as they cross. That builds the bridge for us finally to go across that chasm, to get back to God, build a relationship with God, the end of the story, amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord, right? What if it's more like this? What if all along there is a rope bridge 
A very small, tethered rope bridge that, that you and I cannot really walk across alone. I, I was in Alabama a number of years ago at this Christian retreat center. It was like an environmental center. It was a really, really cool place. I remember going on a hike, and there was this bridge that went across the... Did you believe that there's actually canyons in Alabama? Believe it or not. Never crossed my mind. But there, were can, there was a canyon there. There was this little, little rope bridge, this rickety, rickety rope bridge from one side to the other. Was I going to cross that thing? Absolutely not. It was the most frightening thing. I turned around and, and went the other way. But what if there is actually this, this kind of rope bridge that still connects us in a very, very short way to God? But yet we need something sturdier in order to access. And we need to walk across this, right? We need to be the ones that desire. You know, Wesley described a prevenient grace as the porch on a house. It's where we prepare to enter the house. This is kind of the preparation to enter the house, that, that God is always there, but he's just waiting for us to accept that the bridge as opposed to the rope bridge. And what that means is this, is that nobody is cut off from God. That means that if you are on the fence, that God is at work in your life. That means if your next-door neighbor, the one with the unruly dog and has the parties, that means that God is at work in his or her life. That means that your coworkers, your, the kids on your soccer team, the students in your class, your atheist brother or sister or friend or uncle, God's still at work. There's still a rope bridge tethered there. Of course, there comes a point that that person has to, they have free will too. They have to make that decision to, to accept the bridge and walk across it. But, but I think it takes the load off of us to say, okay, I'm not, uh, it's not like I'm the only one that can go and I can bring Jesus to somebody. That's part, we're often just part of the story. We are not the story. And that we partner with God in community. What an amazing thing that is. See, but we also notice, backing up in that scripture, we also notice what Rahab says, though, in her, her, in her story of faith. It's kind of in, in the Hebrew language that it was written in. It's kind of like a cadence. A lot of the Hebrew is very lyrical in, po in poetic form. And she says something like, we know and we've heard, and it kind of goes on, and it has this rhythm to it. And we do have to acknowledge that what opens people or closes them to Jesus are the things called listening and watching. We do play a role in that. That are, is our responsibility. Um, there was a new poll that actually came out uh, earlier this week. I, it was either by Pew or Barna or whatever, these people that like survey lots of church stuff and, and uh, people in, in commun different communities. And they discovered that only, I think it was only, what was it, 21%, 21% of non-church-going people see church in a positive light. So take the people that don't go to church, are not religious, only 21% actually believe that the church is a positive thing. That's scary, right? That's scary. Yeah, that doesn't mean that like on a scale of zero to 10, you know, zero being the like lowest and 10 being the highest, doesn't mean we're starting at zero. We're starting at negative five, folks. You know, it's a, it's a really, really hard thing. And why? Because of what Rahab said, Rahab's communicating in a positive light, the listening and the watching. That's our responsibility. We are the tools that God uses in somebody's life, and, and people have been used in our own lives that lead us into faith, lead us into a relationship, lead us into accepting the bridge and walking across it. 
And that means that what we do and how we act, how we talk, what we post on Facebook, it actually matters. It matters that we need to approach that with humility, to be able to listen and receive. And part of it is we don't also realize that the blessing goes both ways. The blessing goes both ways. It's not just about us, we're bringing you know, Jesus to somebody else, but, but look what happened with Rahab and these spies. The blessing goes both ways. You know, how hard is it to receive help and to ask for help? As, as you know, people, we, we want to do things our own way right away. You know, we, we're all about this thing called independence. What if dependence is not so bad after all? Because by going things our own way, maybe we are de- denying people of the blessing. I had a, a, my grandmother. Um, it's the only grandparent I actually got to know. Um, my others had passed away before I was born. And my grandma, um, she lived by herself, and you know, she, she had a, like, a modest income coming in, of course. And um, every Christmas, she gave my brother and me money. And I was like, Grandma, you can't do this or whatever. And I remember her like, telling me the one time, like, I am being blessed by you receiving this. Why is it so hard for us to receive for us to receive the blessing? What if we're denying somebody else of that? And so imagine this. The gate has been shut, and the men in the story are at the mercy of the woman who has just saved them. And then this is, this is what, what she says. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the God, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured. If you don't tell what we are doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. What's cool here is that the very language that's being used, that Rahab, the prostitute, the Canaanite, is using, is this language of covenant, of covenant. Hesed is the word symbolic of the very language that is used between God and his people. This is unheard of. This is unheard of, especially this this early in the scriptures. But this is ultimately what God is revealing. And so the sign that she gives is this crimson cord to mark her home. And Jewish tradition classifies that cord as the red blood that's left on the doorpost during the Passover, a sign of salvation. And so because... Of Rahab, spies are spared. They go back to Joshua. They communicate what they've seen, the story that they've seen and they've heard. And later we see how Rahab is brought into the family of God. So what does this all mean? Well, in the new season, be open. Be open. Be open to what God is doing. Be open to to the place that you've been before that you think that you're headed again because it feels like a rerun. Be aware of that. What's crazy is that Rahab, one of the most unlikely heroes in Scripture, then becomes the great-great-grandmother of David, the king of Israel, and then is in the lineage of Christ. We all know a Rahab. Maybe you are Rahab. Maybe you're putting together the pieces of the puzzle, and you have no idea what episodes lie ahead because of what is happening in the current one. So my question to you, Table Life Church, Will our new season be a place to depend on God and what God is up to in this new season, even if it's different than what you once thought? Because we know that Jesus was about 
breaking some of those expectations and ultimately turning them into something even greater. So Jesus, you know, he gathered this whole group of disciples and they were really messed up people. So that totally gives us hope. These were people who were terrorists, believe it or not. They were blue-collar workers. They came from some broken, crazy families that, that were like trying to figure out what they were up to. You know, there were all these people that Jesus, he went out of his way to call. Who does that? That's the God that we know and we celebrate. And that gives hope to each and every one of us that God meets us where we are. And so so when we approach this table today, we're reminded of the places that we have have not measured up, the places we have have messed up, whether in the past or this week or like two minutes ago. But yet we're reminded that God's grace is sufficient and that when we receive that gift, he offers us that grace, that gift, that, that we receive that and we know for a fact that we are a forgiven people. And at this, this table, as to his disciples, it was open to everyone. That you didn't need to have a membership and get these things checked off first. You didn't need to be good enough. You didn't even have to you know, come to all the sins in your mind that you had committed in order to approach the table. He said, no, receive. Meet me here. And so as people of God um, have over the centuries, we join together today in saying a prayer that Jesus taught his very first disciples to pray. And will you join me in that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so if you're worshiping with us at home, you can go ahead and quickly grab some juice and maybe a cracker or a piece of bread. You too can join us in sharing the Lord's Supper today. Like I said, all are welcome at this table. And so uh, on the night that he, he gave himself up for us, the night before he gave himself up for us, he entered into a meal that was the custom. And, and part of that meal was to take bread. But this bread had a special meaning because he took it and he blessed it and then he broke it. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can hold off receiving for just a minute, and we'll receive it all together. And then at the end of the meal, he took the cup, and he blessed it, and said, Take this, all of you, and drink it. This is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And he told them that as you take this bread and drink this cup, that we share in this together right now, but we're also, we're also anticipating a heavenly banquet that comes before us. That, that all who have placed our faith and trust, what a celebration that will be when we once again join together one day with all those who have gone before and, and those who are ahead around that banquet to receive together. And so we're reminded of that today as people of God, as a family of God. And so I invite you to take your bread and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And drink. 
This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we come to you today as people from all different seasons, Lord, all different places and, and uh, backgrounds and stories, God, but you know all of it. Lord, you know the burdens that we carry, Lord. You know the brokenness that has been deep inside of us, Lord. But Lord, we reach out for your grace. And to know that by placing our trust in you, that we receive that, that gift of salvation, Lord. That gift of eternal life that you have promised, Lord. It's by our trust and our faith, not by anything we do. We don't do enough good things to earn our way, but that we receive your grace. And that we can know you and be in full relationship with you. But Lord, it's not just about someday in the future when we die and go to heaven, Lord. But it's rather also your call here to build your kingdom here. That you spoke in the scriptures time and time again about what the kingdom of God is like. And you invite us to be a part of that story. Because Lord, we know that there's those around us like Rahab who are listening, who are watching and Lord, it's our prayer that we may be one of the tools, one of the instruments that you would use in someone else's life, Lord. That you would, you would use us and shape us and mold us, Lord, to be the men and women that you have called us to be, God. And Lord, we place our, our trust in you above anything else, Lord. We depend on you in this day. And we have such grateful hearts, Lord, as we receive your grace today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.